I sent you some questions about school. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Good old school days. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm very interested. You know, uh, Ashley's always been interested to learn about how you went to college at such a young age and whether that was uh, normal for that time. And Yep, yeah. Well, to answer that question, yeah, no, it was not normal. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't figure. <laughs> but but I'll, uh, I'll tell you kind of how it came to be anyway. Uh, yeah. So I'll, I'll start with... Uh, Actually, what I'll call my middle school years, which are grades seven and eight, uh, and that's that's actually where this whole uh, what's called Latin school program that was in the Cincinnati Archdiocese at the time. Um, the Archdiocese started this program to kind of encourage young men to go into the priesthood, and um, so it was kind of their way of of introducing them to the Latin language. <laughs> Which is used was used exclusively in the mass at that time, right? And um, and also to the whole idea of you know maybe becoming a priest. But in the meantime, get, you know, getting all your other education credits that were necessary to graduate from grade school and high school. So the program was set up so that when kids got into sixth grade, boys that is, no girls, um, they were all given a test. Or that it was an optional test to just see, you know, what their relative level of intelligence was and how they grasped certain certain things about our social life and so forth. It was just a kind of a general general nonsense test, <laughs> if you will. At any rate, uh, the the top thirty young men each year from from taking that test. Now this was sixth sixth grade now. Uh, the top 30 men, uh, or young boys actually, would be offered this opportunity of a lifetime to go into Latin school, <laughs> which was an accelerated learning program, actually. So what it did, at least uh, uh, from a learning standpoint, it combined the 7th and 8th grades together into one year. Okay. So we had to, yeah, had to finish all of the classwork necessary to to get through grade school in that one year. <laughs> so there were no, uh, you know, there was no gym classes, no study halls or anything like that, no outside activities, just just plain work. <laughs> and we also took our first year of Latin during our, our seventh and eighth grade. And then from there, we went, went right into a, uh, uh, a sophomore level at high school. I went to Purcell High School and and they were geared up to uh, accept students in this accelerated program. So, uh, so essentially, you skip from seventh grade to sophomore in high school. <laughs> Skipped over two years. <laughs> so, uh, and and again, the high school curriculum was such that uh, I mean, there was no goofing around. If if you got into this program, you had to be serious about about learning because. There was no no gym classes, no study halls, not no free time at all. I mean, it was all just uh, classwork <laughs> and study work at home. Yeah, you got us out if you're going to get two years done in one. Well, yeah. I mean, we <laughs> actually we had to get the the high school done. The four years of high school squeezed into three, and that was a real task because you know there's a certain number of course credits you have to have for English and and uh, math and science and various other subjects. And, of course, in the Catholic school included uh, religion classes. So you, so you combined 7th you combined and 8th grade, and then you went through high school in three years instead of four. Right. Okay. Right. We, we essentially entered high school as a sophomore instead of a freshman. <laughs> we just kind of skipped over the freshman year. Interesting. Yeah. And the courses that they taught... Uh, in those three years were probably uh, especially groomed, if you will. In other words, it, we couldn't take Algebra 1, Algebra 2 a year apart. Uh, we had to kind of squeeze them. <laughs> and very, uh, other math courses were the same way. You know, we had to kind of squeeze things down to half a year instead of a whole year. Um, but we had to get all the credits in you know, to satisfy the state requirements for graduation. So at any rate, uh, that's that's kind of how I got on that pathway of uh, getting into college early. Uh, I, I graduated from high school at age 15. 
Uh, now, I turned 16 that following October, um, but I was 15 when I entered college, actually. And a lot of the guys were. Not, some of the guys were born earlier in the year, so they had already turned 16 by the time sure. they, they graduated from high school. But, uh, at any rate, uh, what, it, what it did was it kind of squeezed us out of any kind of social life in high school. Um, but, you know, we knew a lot of other classmates who were going to dances and parties and things like that. And uh, we, we just didn't have the time to do it. <laughs> Did you feel you were missing out at the time? Well, at the time, when I compared myself to some other friends that I had made there in high school, yeah, I kind of thought, you know, I was missing out on some things. But because we were, uh, these 30, 30 guys were all grouped together in classes throughout the whole three years, um, we had a, you know, a big pack of friends that we developed. Uh, there were some pretty pretty close friendships uh, among those 30 men or young men and uh, so you know I I guess I didn't feel like I missed much uh, because we did have some outside activities after school you know like for example one of the things that, that I remember is get, getting into a bowling league I think that was in my sophomore year and I was in bowling leagues for three years in high school and I really enjoyed that you know that was that was extracurricular outside of but it was an intramural type of league. It wasn't. We weren't bowling against other high schools. Um, we were bowling against teams within our own high school. But it was done in the evenings after school. You know, not not during school time. <laughs> so, and then the other thing that I remember, uh, kind of a fond memory of mine, is uh, I belonged to a club called the Nature Club when I was in high school. I think I was there for all three years, actually. Um, and it was really engrossing, I thought. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it because I got to learn a lot about birds and trees and plants and all kinds of animals and whatever. Everything that happens in nature uh, is, is what we studied. I mean, we had, we had studies into what was called ichthyology, which was fish, uh, or ornithology, which was birds, uh, or uh, her, her, herpeology or whatever it was. That, that was yeah, herpetology. Serpent. Herpetology, yeah. That was for serpents of various kinds, snakes and whatever. So, you know, there was, there was kind of a variety of stuff that we learned about in this club. And uh, the professor happened to be uh, one of the brothers. I mean, mo mostly the teachers that I had at Purcell High School were Marianist brothers. Uh, they had priests and brothers there. Uh, there were a few lay, lay teachers, but mostly they were priests and brothers. And this one brother who was in charge of the nature club, he used to... Uh, get together uh, field trips from time to time. I don't, probably every, I don't know, three, four months, something like that, we'd go on a field trip. He would he would rent a big truck, a box van, you know, like a U-Haul oh, van man. or something like that. <laughs> and, and all of us, this is probably illegal now, but, <laughs> but all the guys would pile into the back of this truck <laughs> with all of their equipment and stuff. <laughs> and we would, you know, they'd close the back door and we'd ride maybe 50 miles or 100 miles or someplace to, you know, to get to a, 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 a state park or wherever it was we were going to have our field trip. And uh, there was a couple of occasions during that three years where we actually spent an overnight. Uh, and we, <laughs> we, we brought our own bedding and we, and we slept in the truck. <laughs> I'll tell you what, it was, <laughs> it was a lot of fun, but it was kind of crowded in there. You get about 15, 20 guys in the back of a truck trying to, you know, it's all on floor space. <laughs> and uh, in fact, one, one time I remember the, uh, the brother in charge built a, uh, like a platform inside the truck. It was about three feet off the floor. And, and the platform allowed us to stow all of our gear underneath it. And, um, and then, but the guys could sleep on top of this platform as well as on the floor of the truck. So then we brought, you know, all this, the food and everything we needed for the weekend. It was really something. <laughs> we ate a lot of canned beans and, and various other things like that. Easy, easy open foods <laughs> and uh, easy to cook because uh, we didn't do a lot of, uh, you know, r real fancy cooking on those field trips. <laughs> it was more, more eating out of a can. But in any event, I, that was one memory I had that was uh, very pleasant. You know, and, and the guys that were in the club... Um, I mean, they were, they were very pleasant also. Now, 
of course, it, the rest of the guys in the high school, uh, they looked down on the guys that were in the nature club. <laughs> they thought we were a bunch of kooks. Yeah. <laughs> or weird people. <laughs> Who could be interested in that? You know, in bugs, flies, ants, birds, and all the other <laughs> stuff. <laughs> but we were into it. We were into it. I think I learned a lot from it, too, but I don't remember half of it. <laughs> but nonetheless... Um, Let's see. Uh, yeah, I just made some notes here about uh, my high school years that uh, I, I really enjoyed them. Uh, and I was pretty good at it. I mean, I'd, I had done very well in grade school. Uh, and I excelled in math and the sciences and in English uh, and spelling. You know, when I was in grade school, that was, that was one of my big subjects. I was a, I was a master at spelling. <laughs> I'm probably not so much anymore, but... <laughs> A lot of new words these days. But in any event, uh, I had a really good time in high school, and and, uh, and I was pretty good at most everything. The things I didn't like a lot were history and geography. Uh, and I, the only reason I think that I didn't like them was because it required just remembering facts. Facts, people's names and people's and places and so forth. But I had no way of kind of gluing it all together in my mind, you know. Right. It wasn't like math where you progress from algebra one to algebra two, trigonometry, solid geometry, etc. I mean, <laughs> there was no progression of anything in history except for time. Right. Time marches on, and that was, you know, somehow you had to remember what happened in 1842 as well as 1942, you know. <laughs> I, I just was not very good at that. <laughs> And I wasn't too interested as a result. Huh. So, yeah, and I think now to this day, things have changed in my own uh, mind. And that is history, I, I've come to appreciate a lot more. Um, and I, I've actually even tried to learn more about our, our history, especially about this country. Um, but, but the geography now, that you know, that wasn't so hard to do because... You know, I could I could always imagine a map, <laughs> sure. what a map looks like, and where various countries are, where the states are, where cities are within the states, and so forth. Uh, I had a pretty good memory for that kind of stuff, but um, but, but ask me when when Ohio became a state, and I just sit, stare at you. <laughs> right. I think it was 1803, actually. <laughs> but but I can't. I don't remember any of the other states when they became states. And I, for some reason, I, I just never thought those dates were that important. <laughs> so I didn't memorize them. So at any rate, but, and I, when I got in college, uh, I'll tell you, I had a couple of experiences. One, the very first one was uh, being away from home for the first time in my life. Uh, I had never, as a youth, I had never gone to any summer camps or anything like that. Uh, we couldn't afford that. And... Uh, so you know, I just never, you know, I, I had buddies who went to summer camp every year. They'd spend a week or two weeks, you know, out, out in the woods or doing doing really neat things, and they'd tell me all about it. <laughs> but I never got to go to any of those. Uh, so as a result, I, I never spent time away from home uh, on my own, you know, just with, with buddies of mine. So I never got used to that. So as a result, when uh, when I got signed up for college... It was only 50 miles away. I was in Dayton. We lived in Cincinnati, so it wasn't too too far. But it was like being in another world, as far as I was concerned. <laughs> I was 15 years old, <laughs> and I and uh, you know I remember the day. I still remember the day when my dad drove me up there. By then he had a, a car, so we we drove up to Dayton, and uh, he helped me get my uh, suitcases and whatever junk that I had up into my room in the dorm. Um, and then, you know, we walked down the steps and, uh, he walked out the door and he said, uh, well, I'll see you son in a couple of months <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> you must've felt very alone. Yeah. He just drove off into the sunset and there I was, I, there was a park bench or something out in front of my dormitory. And I remember sitting down there and just thinking, you know what? I'm all alone here. I mean, there was not a single soul around at that point. And I, I thought, my gosh, I, I have never been this alone in my life, you know, because there was nobody to talk to, nobody to relate to or anything. Uh, 
Uh, or if I had any difficulties or whatever, who do I go to, you know? I used to go to my dad. <laughs> well, I couldn't do that anymore. So it didn't take long, though, of course, before my roommates showed up. You know, I had, we had rooms with three guys in them uh, in my freshman year. They were kind of packed in pretty dense. So we, we had to uh, squeeze ourselves three to a room. But, and the guys that I, you know, that I roomed with were really nice, very kind young men, just like myself. <laughs> and, uh, and then I slowly got, you know, I got to meet other, other guys when I started going to classes. Uh, of course, they were mostly all engineers, but um, actually the, the first two years though, we were taking a lot of general courses. So we were mixed in with the business students and the, uh, uh, you know, the other, the medical students and various other people, you know, uh, so for the first year or two. So I got to know a lot of people little by little, and slowly that loneliness, if you will, kind of started disappearing. Um, but, so that, but that was one thing that really kind of overwhelmed me at first. I, I just, I was ready to pack up and, and go back home. <laughs> I thought, man, I don't want to be here all by myself. So, okay, at any rate, um, in, in, during college years, again, you know, the, most of the courses I had, I kind of enjoyed them, uh, especially those having to do with engineering, the, the mechanical type courses, uh, the strength of materials, statics, dynamics, fluid flow, and all those kinds of things. Uh, they, the, some of them I didn't do all that well in, <laughs> like dynamics. I had a hard time with that one, but, uh, but I was really interested in them. For some reason, you know, they really... Uh, struck my fancy and uh, so I and we had as engineers at Dayton at least in those days uh, you had a, we, we had to accumulate 160 credit hours to graduate <laughs> oh wow and uh, that's those are semester hours by the way not quarter hours and uh, so that meant 20 hours per semester uh, which is a pretty heavy load actually you ask around nowadays uh, kids in college they're not taking 20 credit hours for the most no, part. No, no. They're taking 12, 14, mm -hmm. a few of them maybe 16 or so. Right. <laughs> but but 20 is sort of just not heard of. <laughs> Unless you want to, you know, some some kids stretch it out to five years, and that's the way they get their credit hours in. And did you have a job uh, at any point during college, or were you pretty much just focused on school? Well, no, there was that, that came in my sophomore year. Actually, my my dad actually helped me out to get me started. Uh, he he essentially paid for my tuition and my room and board for the first year, and uh, and much to my surprise and chagrin, right after my freshman year, he announced to me that the the money train has ended. <laughs> that from now on, son, you're on your own. If you want to complete this education, you got to find a way to do it. <laughs> and so, well, I'll tell you, that scared the heck out of me. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Going into my sophomore year, I was, I mean, I was broke. I didn't have any money. And, yeah, uh, especially didn't... if you weren't expecting it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, I mean, Dad gave me plenty of notice. He, he told me right at the beginning of the summer. Oh, okay. So, uh, you know, I, I did get a, uh, I did get a summer. Well, I didn't, actually, I didn't get a summer job that first year. Uh, between my freshman and sophomore years, I spent helping my dad build his house. So I was out there about every week. I spent days at a time out there living in a tent <laughs> and doing construction on that house. Wow. So I, I didn't have a job that paid me anything. But, uh, but I did find out there were some resources available at University of Dayton. There was a, a very benevolent mother's club there that would loan money to students who were in desperate need. And I th I'm not sure who put me onto that, but I, I made an application to the mother's club for a loan for uh, my tuition, you know, and, uh, and lo and behold, they granted it and you didn't, didn't have to pay it back right away. You know, in fact, what I, what I did was I kind of leapfrogged. I borrowed the money from my sophomore year and I got a good job during between my sophomore and junior year, uh, working for some civil engineering outfit, and it paid me enough that I could just about pay off my debt from the previous year, <laughs> and then I'd borrow for the next year, <laughs> and uh, and then between junior and senior year, the same thing happened. I worked uh, 
Actually, I worked at the Cincinnati Millicron, the same place my dad worked. Uh, I worked all summer there, and fortunately, they were working us 10 or 12 hours a day, so I made a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. What did you and, do there? Well, I, I was just in their shipping and receiving department, oh, loading okay. and unloading trucks, <laughs> big machine parts and motors and all kinds of stuff that was heavy. <laughs> so, But it, it was enjoyable, and yet... Uh, I remember sitting down at lunchtime one time with uh, several of the other guys in the shipping department. They were all college students, too. And uh, they got hired, you know, part-time, if you will, for the summer. And we, had, we used to have discussions about what we were doing in school and all that. And uh, about two-thirds of the way through that summer, I remember we, we talked very seriously about, you know what? I'm going to make sure I finish my college education because I sure don't want this job for the rest of my yeah. life. <laughs> I thought, boy, if, you know, hauling those parts around and, and lifting stuff day in and day out off of and onto trucks and whatever. Oh, man, I'll tell you, it was backbreaking labor. But, um, but I learned something from it. I learned that I didn't want to do that all my life. <laughs> right. You learned why you were going to school. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so I, you know, I sort of doubled down then when I went back to school my junior year, my my uh, senior year rather, and um, and worked very hard to make sure I graduated. But uh, so the, but at any rate, the college experience for me was was very good. I mean, I enjoyed it. Uh, I didn't go to many parties or anything. Went to a couple of dances, I recall, um, and then I, I was a part of. Uh, my first two years, I was part of the Army ROTC program they had there, um, and I, I became a, part, a member of the uh, what what was called the uh, it was a military drill team, you know, a uh, precision drill team. I think they were called the Pershing Rifles or something like that, and um, and it was it was fun. We you know it was a lot of hard work. We had to practice all these routines with uh, with our with our uh, rifles and so forth and and marching and whatever different kinds of uh uh setups and so forth and we got we marched in a couple of parades and whatever and but and we also put on performances at at a couple of the the big dances you know <laughs> i think the junior prom we were asked to come there and put on a demonstration because <laughs> that's what we were we were a demonstration uh team you know that that worked very hard at uh at precision drill movements um now, most people aren't too interested in that, but I was at the time. So, so it was a lot of fun and very enjoyable, but a lot of hard work. So at any rate, let's see. Um, well, I, yeah, in fact, one of the things that happened, I, I, uh, when I graduated from uh, University of Dayton, um, I worked for a, a, about a year or two, and then a good friend of mine put me on to... Uh, this Master of Business Administration program down at Xavier University in Cincinnati. <laughs> and, uh, and it was geared to particularly for students who had graduated from, um, from University of Dayton, but who lived in, that, in the Dayton area. So they, they geared this whole MBA program so that you could get your degree on Saturday mornings only. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but you had to go for four years on Saturday mornings and take two or three classes each Saturday uh, for, for four years, and you got enough credits then to earn an MBA. <laughs> and that's what I did. Uh, I had no idea you had an MBA. Yeah, well, I do. <laughs> <laughs> and I put it to good use in, in the jobs that I had and so forth. But, uh, in fact, that was the reason I... I decided to go because of uh, I saw the need for being able to do research um, and know how to do research uh, and how to how to solve business problems and so forth. And uh, I hadn't gotten any of that training in engineering school, so but I started getting it more. Of course, some of it you have to take some basic stuff like accounting and so forth. Sure. And, and econ economics, uh, economics one hundred one and two hundred one and three hundred one and all that stuff. But uh, but it was pretty enjoyable. I, I enjoyed most of the courses that I took in that MBA program. The uh, the drawback to it, of course, was that I was I got married in 1961. Uh, I had enrolled in the program I think somewhere around 1960, and so I was on my way uh, in the program when I got married. 
but I didn't graduate until 1964. By then, we were starting a family. In fact, uh, your mom was born that February when I graduated, <laughs> and your, your your uncle Greg was born a year and a half or so before that. So you know, we were well on our way of of having a family and all. And and I was driving to Cincinnati every Saturday morning, <laughs> spending about four or five hours down there uh, until I finally graduated. In fact. Uh, it it kind of wore me down. I, I remember uh, my in my last year, uh, I almost quit the program just because of my you know the responsibilities I had at home, and I just kept thinking, well, you know, I, I'm I'm really doing this to increase my opportunities in my in the job field, but at the same time, you know, I'm taken away from my family. I mean, I don't I don't get to see my kids much. Must have been a strain. <laughs> It was, it was, and it was a strain on my wife too. <laughs> but you know, she kind of hung in there and realized that the, the end was in sight. So we just kept going. And in June of, of 1964, I finally graduated. Um, one of the, one of the highlights of my life, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that same year, uh, I took the final test for uh, my Ohio professional engineer's license, and I passed that. So I got my engineer's license uh, in June or July of '64. Also, uh, you had actually the, to get a professional engineer's license, you have to have either eight years' experience in the engineering field or four years' experience plus four years of a college degree. So, in other words, you had to wait four years after you graduated from from college to apply for the the license, and uh, after you've you know accumulated some experience, and you had a had to write a paper about you know what what experience you had and so forth. I think now I think now it's a pretty extensive uh, test you have to take, isn't it, to get a PE? I, I don't. I think it is. I've heard that, but I don't know what what the deal is anymore. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's almost like the bar exam for engineers these days. It could be. It could. Well I mean, be. you don't need it to you know do engineering, but it's definitely a. I think it's. Uh, you know, something that you have to study for quite a, quite extensively. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. And um, yeah, and plus, well, if if you want to work in the public sector, in other words, if you yeah. want to work for the state or city governments or county governments or whatever, doing engineering work, many of those jobs require a PE license. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so the jobs that I had, I I worked four years for the county engineer's office and four or five years for the uh, Environmental Services Department. And both of those positions uh, did require a, a PE license. So, I mean, it, now I could work there uh, but I, <laughs> without having a license, but having a license put you in better stead, usually got paid a little more, and, uh, and you had other opportunities, if you will, to do things. Right. Uh, I mean, we, we, were, we were permitted to sign uh, building plans, for example, uh, as a PE, uh, you couldn't sign plans if you weren't a professional engineer. Yeah, I'm not sure I ever understood that, but because <laughs> there's a lot of guys who had who really knew a lot more about the, either the building trades or road, especially road and bridges, than I did. <laughs> I never, I never really specifically studied how to build roads and bridges. Right, and yet. Or or subdivisions, you know, that that were going in and laying on sewers and electric and all that stuff, uh, and yet those plans had to be signed by somebody, and that somebody had to be a registered professional engineer. <laughs> so I got to sign a few a few sets of plans in my life. <laughs> Just you know, all you all you had to do was review them and make sure they they meet all the the state and local requirements and whatever, and then you sign off on them. You pledge your life to them, <laughs> something like that. Uh, at any rate, I I did enjoy, uh, like I say, that MBA program. That was at Xavier University, by the way, in Cincinnati. Um, another, that was a Jesuit school, actually. University of Dayton was a Marianist school <laughs> run by Marianist people, uh, which was the same order that ran Purcell High School that I went to. And that, that's how I ended up going to U University of Dayton. Um, the, the teachers there at Purcell kind of encouraged the students and encouraged their parents to think seriously about sending them to a Marianist uh, school, you know. 
Um, and so my dad did. He he caved in and decided to send me to Dayton, even though going to the University of Cincinnati, which was walking distance from my house, and a lot cheaper. <laughs> it was a state-operated school, so so the tuition was uh, was less, and I didn't have any room and board to worry about. <laughs> I could live at home, but uh, for some reason, Dad decided it was a good thing, and. Uh, uh, and it also it got me off on my own. I'll tell you what, like I mentioned before, I never felt so lonely, lonely in all my life. And then after a while, though, I realized, you know, this is, this is the way life is. I mean, you, you don't get to choose where you're going to be and who you're going to relate to all the time uh, or whether you're going to have anybody to relate to. You know, sometimes you're on your own. So at any rate, uh, just looking back then at... Uh, at some of the influences in my life during college years. Um, one is I had several really good teachers at University of Dayton. Uh, the one that stands out in my mind, and I, I jotted down a note or two about him, is uh, a guy named Dr. Kenneth Shrout. He was a math teacher. Um, he had some strange idiosyncrasies that I won't go into, <laughs> but he also was a really good math teacher, and he had a big heart. You know, He, he reached out to me. He saw my whole situation of being, you know, one of the youngest of the crew uh, and being somewhat alone in, in my quest for a degree and all that. And he reached out to me and gave me a hand with some of the math courses that we had. The, the first couple of years of math were no problem at all. But uh, junior and senior year math um, got to be pretty tough. <laughs> I mean, differential equations and uh, advanced math for engineers and things like that. Man, yeah. I'll tell you what. They had my head spinning, but uh, but he reached out. You know, he saw I was having difficulty, and he he kind of helped tutor me through those. Also, uh, in my sophomore year, he recognized uh, that somehow I, I might have gone to him. I'm not sure, but he found out that I needed uh, financial help. You know, to, uh, he probably looked. He saw that, that I was borrowing money <laughs> for my tuition, and uh, so he reached out to me. That he he also operated the uh, University of Dayton Research Institute. They did a lot of government contract work for Wright-Patterson Air Force Base for many, many years. And uh, so, and he, he was able to employ a bunch of students part-time just doing, you know, kind of grunt work, data reduction and things like that, that, that anybody could do. And, you know, and a gorilla could do them with a little training. Right. <laughs> but, but... He was able, because they were government contracts, he could pay us a buck and a quarter an hour doing it. Sure. <laughs> and uh, we could work pretty much as many hours as we could manage to jam in to our busy weeks. And I, I think I recall working something around 20 hours a week. Um, I don't know how I was doing that. But <laughs> yeah, that's a lot for, uh, for yeah, is a rigorous work. engineering program. Oh, yeah, it was. It was. But it helped me out an awful lot, too. You know, I mean, being able to earn some money. Uh, it didn't pay all my tuition, but it did pay for all of my incidental expenses uh, and my weekend meal ticket. Because I, I, I got used to just buying a five-day meal ticket on campus. And so on weekends, you, you were on your own. You, know? they, you weren't allowed to go to the cafeteria because you didn't have a meal ticket to get in. <laughs> so I had to go beg, borrow, and not steal, but <laughs> beg and borrow a lot of food and whatever. Um, in those years, but the uh, the job that I had then, starting uh, about midway through my sophomore year, uh, that really helped a lot. It gave me some spending money for a change. Um, Do you remember what your tuition cost at the time? Oh, it was cheap. I mean, you you <laughs> you'll be blown away by this, Tom. <laughs> I, I did. I remember the first year tuition rate, and then the the senior year tuition rate. My first year tuition rate was. Uh, I think it was 10 bucks a credit hour, and we were talking about taking 20 credit hours. So about $2,000? No, 10 times 20 is $200. Oh, no, $200. <laughs> oh, man. So that was my my first semester tuition, and the room and board was a little bit more than that. It was about 300 bucks because they were, you know, feeding algae and all that, <laughs> and they had laundry service provided along with that. Uh, so. Wow. Yeah, so the, but the whole ball of wax was about something around five hundred bucks. Well, throw in about another hundred for for books, 
So maybe sure. $600 for a semester, <laughs> 1200 bucks a year. Wow. That's what it cost me to go to school. <laughs> but I'll tell you, back in those days when you're making a buck or so an hour, <laughs> that takes a lot of hours <laughs> to earn that. <laughs> I mean, th things were different. And then I think by the time uh, my senior year rolled around, the tuition was up to, uh, uh, it was either 16 or $18 an hour, a credit hour. So, you know, it, it, had, it hadn't doubled, but it had gone up, uh, you know, 60 or 70%, something like that. So it was quite a bit more, but, but still, you know, compared to today's tuitions, I mean, I can't even grasp, I can't get my arms around what kids have to pay in, in my college. Now, I mean, 10 or 20 grand is cheap. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty That's crazy. That's what I understand anyway. I, I haven't been back to school for a while. But <laughs> 1964 was the last time I stepped foot on a university campus. <laughs> <laughs> so things, of course, uh, I think salaries back then were not nearly as high as they are now either. Uh, yeah, well, you've had inflation, you know, so the numbers are, of oh, course, yeah. bigger. Yeah, you, you do have to take that into account because I, I also remember my my starting salary as an engineer, which was actually, in those days, considered very good. I made $440 a month. Now, you figure that out. It's about <laughs> 50 5200 bucks a year, give or take. <laughs> and what year was that, roughly? That was 57, 1957, when I graduated. Yeah, my... <laughs> And, I, you know, some of the guys were, they were getting a little higher salaries than that in some of the aircraft industry jobs. Uh, they might have gotten like, you know, 500 bucks a month or something. But um, I was able to stay closer to, closer to home and all that. <laughs> but, yeah, and I thought that was big money. I'll tell you what, I never made money like that before. <laughs> $440 a month. I mean, <laughs> think about that. <laughs> 110 bucks a week. <laughs> yeah, it looks like uh, plugging that into an inflation calculator, you're at about uh, four. That's about four thousand dollars a month uh, in today's oh, is that dollars. Right? Well, that's not so bad yeah. then. <laughs> no, that's about, no, not too bad. That's almost I mean, fifty grand a year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, granted, I think a lot of engineers are making a little more oh, than yeah, that these days, yeah. but you know, so certain costs of living, I think, have also gone up a little right. more. Uh, yeah, so it might balance out. Well, that uh, that makes me feel a little better. No, I mean, I always I always felt like. You know, people in those days were being uh, compensated very fairly. You know, I, I thought the wages I was being paid were really great. Uh, I mean, I had a lot of, a lot of friends that had not gone to college, and they were slaving around for you know a buck and a quarter an hour or so, and uh, well, you know that maybe fifty bucks a week, <laughs> that ain't much, <laughs> but it was enough to live on. You know. So at any rate, I remember times being pretty good back then, <laughs> in the late 50s and early 60s and whatever. Um, and like I said, I made a, a number of friends at University of Dayton, um, many of which uh, remained friends for uh, many, many years afterwards. Uh, I graduated in 57, and it wasn't until I, I, had, I moved my family in 1969 down to Cincinnati when I took a job with General Electric. Uh, but I had been working in Dayton for uh, about 12 years by then. And, uh, and so those, the friends that I made in college, many of them were still close friends. You know, a lot of them stayed around in the area. Now, some of them, you know, were friends were from New York City and various other places in the country. So they moved back near their home. But many of them stayed in Dayton just as, like I did. And uh, they got married there. And, you know, we, we started having family friends and whatever. Um, so it was really great, uh, great time for me. Um, and when I look back on on the move we made to, to Cincinnati, I keep thinking, well, I think that might have been a mistake, uh, only because we moved away from a solid foundation of friendships, close friendships that we could count on, uh, particularly related to our our Catholic faith. Uh, and I. Yeah, I didn't see any immediate deterioration of that, but it, it took about four years of moving around. Uh, we moved to Cincinnati. We were only there about two years. We had, a, uh, we had to move again. The company moved me up to uh, New Jersey, and then we moved up to New York State, uh, and then back here to Ohio, uh, all as a result of my, my, uh, my work situation. <laughs> and 
of course, every time we moved, it was kind of exciting to move. And yet, you know, you had to start all over again, making friends, new friends. And the kids yeah. had the same problem. You know, they, they had to go from one school to another and, uh, and then make new friends at the new schools and all that. Now, they didn't have that hard of a time making friends. But, you know, what you want is some nice, long-lasting friendships, not just these temporary things that last a year. You want community. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so we, we kind of moved away from that when I got that job with GE. I, I just didn't realize that, you know, the opportunities that that company presented to me were based on your willingness to move around from place to place. <laughs> as they, right. You know, they didn't want you to stay in one place place for that long you know they wanted you to keep moving up a ladder so to speak and uh, and I was kind of doing that for about five years or six years I was kind of moving up the corporate ladder and uh, and thought it was pretty nice you know we had a, a few perks you know all, all of our moves for example I mean they were paid for in in spades I mean they not just the moving costs but uh, GE was very generous with employees when they moved you uh, they gave you what was called a moving allowance and it was it amounted to about three months' salary. <laughs> wow! And it was intended just simply, as they put it, to pay for club memberships and other things that you would have to, you know, sever when you leave the, the town that you're living in. They, they sure. figure you got you know you got molded into your community there, and um, and that costs money, you know, to to join various clubs and organizations and whatever. And so uh, they wanted to compensate their employees for that. <laughs> So I remember each move we made, I mean, I'd get, I don't know, about a three or $4,000 bonus or something, which back then was a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, in, in addition to having all of our moving expenses paid for and uh, any attorney fees or anything like that having to do with buying or selling a home, I mean, they just, uh, they pay for it all. <laughs> so I, I didn't have to pay a dime out of my pocket when we moved, even though they were moving lots and lots of stuff. Um, in fact, the load that they were moving kept growing. I remember, uh, I think the first load we, we moved from Cincinnati to New Jersey was about 8,000 pounds. And the, the load we moved from New York, upper New York to back to Akron, um, was 12,000 pounds. Oh man. <laughs> so we, we grew by two tons of junk right. in, that, in that four years. Uh, I don't know. When you look at it that way, you just wonder, how in the world do we accumulate that stuff? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, at any rate, so, but like I say, the, the moving in itself was kind of adventurous, uh, setting off on a new path and all that, and getting a new job and, you know, new challenges and responsibilities and all that. But what I, what I failed to see was how it was eating away at our family life, uh, little by little. It was eroding away. Uh, just by moving away from people that we knew. And, uh, you know, I can easily look back now. Hindsight is really great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's better than course. 2020. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I, I, and I started, I recognized that a long time ago. It hasn't been uh, just sure. recently. I mean, I, in fact, it's one of the things that made me stay in Akron. Um, I, I was being pressured to move on out of my job here in, in Akron. I was, I was stationed at B&W as a resident uh, engineering office uh, manager. And, uh, and I liked it, you know. Plus, we were building new friendships here, and, and we had been here for quite a few years. But after about 10 years or so being here, um, I started feeling this pressure from up above. You know, my boss and his boss and so forth were were all kind of leaning on me to think seriously about moving on because <laughs> they had other things in mind for me, you know. And uh, and I, I finally told uh, my boss, I said, you know what, I, this was after about being here for about 15 years. I said, you know what, I, I am, I'm not going to move. Now, you know, you guys can lay me off, fire me or whatever. But, uh, you know, my, my family has suffered a lot and I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> So I just kind of dug my heels in. Uh, my own boss understood that completely. Uh, my general manager didn't. <laughs> so of course. He kept the pressure up. But then finally after, uh, it was about 20 years I had worked at B&W as a resident engineer there. Uh, there came this opportunity 
because they, they they didn't see it as an opportunity, but I did. They said, uh, you know, they, they were forcing me to, to move on somewhere. And um, and they had, you know, some good job offers and so forth they were going to give me, but, but I just didn't want to move. And, uh, but in addition to that, you know, they said, um, well, my bosses didn't, but the company came forward with, in, in 1970, not 70, but pardon me, 1994, they came out with a, a limited time deal. Anybody with 25 years service <laughs> could retire early. <laughs> and they'd give them a pretty good package to, at that point, the, the company was kind of suffering. You know, we were, they were trying to shrink the company down. Uh, gotcha. Manpower-wise. And uh, they were, they had run into economic difficulties or whatever, so. Uh, the whole company had. So they were offering this early out retirement, you know, if you had, and I just happened to have exactly 25 years service. Uh, oh man. I joined the company in 69 and here it was 1994. Um, I had, I had to stretch it out to the end of the year cause that was my 25th anniversary or whatever. And they were willing to do that. So, but they offered me then an early retirement and that's what I did. <laughs> so how old were you when you retired then? Well, I was about, let's see, that was 1994. I would have been 57, 57. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, usually you don't retire that early unless you were in work for the government or, you know, some kind of oh, public yeah, service. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> oh, and I, and I didn't have any intentions of retiring early. Uh, I had every intention of going back to work somewhere. <laughs> but, but actually, uh, I did take off a whole year and volunteered work for uh, Bread of Life Community at that time, uh, which, which you're, you've probably heard of but aren't too familiar with. Oh, yeah. Uh, at any rate, yeah, they needed, you know, some office people, guys to do a, accounting work and whatever. And, um, and so I thought, well, hey, you know, I can do that kind of stuff. I'm trained in that. <laughs> so, so I volunteered and, and worked uh, for the community free of charge <laughs> for a year. And, uh, and then sometime during that year, Bill Nujabar, whom I think you know, oh, yeah. uh, a good friend of mine anyway, uh, came to me and, and, and asked me about whether I'd be interested in coming to work for him at the county engineer's office. Uh, and he said, you know, he could offer me a part-time position if, if I wanted it, as opposed to coming back full-time. And uh, so I, I kind of fell for it. I said, yeah, you know what, I'd like to kind of get back into the, the work, work life again. <laughs> Uh, maybe part-time would be a good way to do it. So I did. I signed up and I worked there four to five years at the county engineer's office part-time. Um, that was came for the Summit County? Please, I'm sorry. Summit County, I assume? Oh, yeah, Summit County, right. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, after about four, four and a half years or so there, um, Bill Nuge had moved to the uh, county environmental services department, the sewer people. <laughs> And he was working for Jim Domboski, who was the uh, the head of the department. And uh, really, small world. Yeah, yeah. So at any rate, uh, the two of them got together and decided to offer me a job there, <laughs> a full time job again. I, I, they couldn't do a part time at that point, but so they came to me and said, uh, "Hey, would you be interested in doing this?" <laughs> I said, "Yeah, why not?" You know, I, I loved working among friends and and doing new things. I thought, well. I've done enough stuff in stormwater control. I, you know, controlling sewage sounds like a really good deal. <laughs> yeah. So, so I went to work there for about five years and um, really enjoyed it. You know, I actually, when I look back on my employment history, I worked for 47 years as an engineer. And um, I think I enjoyed every year of it. Not exactly the same level of enjoyment, but I, I enjoyed the people that I worked with. For the most part, you know, there's always a few guys that <laughs> that were disagreeable, if you will. Sure, but, always are. Yeah, right. But for the most part, the work itself was always challenging, and, and it always afforded me the opportunity to learn more, uh, which I had to do in order to do the job. You know, I, right, each yeah. one of those jobs I hadn't been trained for in college. Um, I mean, I had gotten all the basic principles that I needed to know. Um, I mean, even in the sewer business, you know, all, all, all you need to know about is the principles of how pumps work um, and and how heat exchangers work and how electrical systems work and so forth. Uh, yeah. And, you know, you can build 
pump stations and treatment plants and things like that. Um, now you've got to study a little bit because the kinds of pumps they use are different than the ones I used to design and work with for the space program. <laughs> right. They were, they were just little different kind of pumps. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, they use the same basic principles of increasing the pressure of, of the fluid you're trying to move along and, and so that it can flow, you know. And uh, so I, I enjoyed that kind of work and, and learning more about it. In fact, I even got, got uh, pretty well entrenched in, in digging trenches. I never had to dig them, but, but I, uh, sure. I, I went, actually I went to a training program for a week and I, I was issued a certificate that said I was a competent person. <laughs> oh man! Can you imagine that? Did you frame still, that and put it I on your wall? I still have that, please. <laughs> Did you frame that and put it on no, your I, wall? No, it's just a little card you carry in your wallet. <laughs> uh, so, okay. And and actually, competent person in the um, earth moving business and construction business is meaningful because it, it's it requires if you're digging trenches or whatever, um, you have to have a quote competent person overseeing. The digging of those trenches because you know the soil and so forth has certain characteristics and in order to keep it from caving in as you're digging and so forth you got to do certain things you got to use trench boxes and various other means of stabilizing the soil uh, sometimes you have to uh, put uh, pumps down in in the bottom of the of the ditch to pump water out to keep you know because sometimes the groundwater just keeps rising in there you can't lay pipe in underwater. <laughs> right. You've got, got to have a dry trench. <laughs> and yeah. uh, so, you know, there's a bunch of little techniques. Nothing nothing real fancy, but uh, but I, I went to a school for that, and I, I came out of there with a certificate saying that I was a competent person. <laughs> I, I still have that little card. I, I pop it out every so often when, we, <laughs> when people start, you know, complaining about certain things. I say, well, you need a competent person to give you some advice here. <laughs> I whip out my card. <laughs> so at any rate, uh, that, just one of the, the miniature little things that, uh, that happened to me in my life that was kind of fun, fun doing. Uh, so I, I think, you know, one of the things you asked was, uh, do I think college prepared me well for my career? And I'll have to say... Uh, yes, it really did. It prepared me well because back in those days, they were dead set on teaching every engineering student basic principles of engineering, how things work and how you build things and, and how they go together and how they operate and so forth and the dynamics of them. And, the, and with those basic principles, you can do almost anything. But nowadays, a lot of the courses I hear people talking about are, you know, they're, they're fringe courses. They're, they're talking about building something, uh, some space station, for example, where you have to use specific techniques. But, but building something is the same on the ground or in space. <laughs> you know, it's just you got to make it a little lighter weight in space because you can't carry all that junk up there with you. But, but you know, there's, the principles are pretty much the same. Thermodynamic principles don't change no matter where you are. Uh, heat transfer principles don't change. You know, God created the, the earth, the universe, and how it works. And all we got to do is study and learn how he made it. And, and he's allowed us to do that. <laughs> so, and you just take that basic knowledge and then you apply it to all the various problems that mankind faces uh, without creating new problems. So in any event, I, I'd have to say, yeah, college, my college in those days prepared me very well for a career in engineering, but I did also have to learn a lot on the job. Every job I had required some on-the-job training. Uh, the yeah. very first job I had out of college, I was working with refrigeration equipment for Frigidaire Division of General Motors. And uh, I had learned about refrigeration equipment in college. I knew how it worked. But I didn't know the practical things about how you build the boxes so that you and how do you insulate them and so forth to keep things cold and how do you separate the freezer compartment from the refrigerator compartment and how do you get fluid to flow through through real thin wall pipes and so forth and how do you how do you exchange heat at a at a high temperature and at a low temperature you know all those kinds of things 
were all specialties, if you will, of refrigeration. And so I had to learn all those things. But, and I, we weren't taught that in, in, high, in college, but we were taught the basic principles, the thermodynamic uh, cycle that a refrigerator works on. <laughs> so we knew that. <laughs> and uh, once, once you know the principle of how the thing operates, you can usually figure out, you know, mechanically how to, how to make it work. <laughs> so, so I think I, I had to do both. You know, I learned a lot of what I needed in college uh, which I think a lot of kids in engineering colleges aren't. I mean, they're not learning the same kinds of things that, that we learned when I was in school. Um, and if I were going to go back to college to study something, what would it be? <laughs> I, I thought about that long and hard, Tom. I'll tell you what, there's nothing at all that I can think of that I would go to college for. <laughs> well, okay, so maybe not maybe not something that you would go to college for, given the state of college these days, but maybe a to you know a particular topic or subject area that interests you. Oh, you'd yeah. like to learn. A oh, lot. yeah. I mean, I and I have I've done a lot of uh, education, if you will, in in the, mostly in the field of my Catholic faith. I mean, about you know, what, right. <laughs> I, I have studied a lot in the last twenty years more about uh, the, the practical matters of how we live and how we treat one another and how we were created to love one another and what that all means um, and try to explain that to other people. Uh, and I find that to be something really worthwhile for me to learn about. But, you know, I, I wouldn't go to a, a, a college or a school necessarily to learn that. Although I did, sure. you know, uh, the particular topic of what's called theology of the body, which uh, Pope John Paul II developed back in the late 1970s, early 1980s. Um, I mean, it's, it gives us kind of a new way to look at our life and how we're to live it, you know, how, how it was created in the first place. And uh, so I, I took it on myself to start learning a lot about that. Uh, and I went to... Uh, about five or six years ago, I went to um, the Theology of the Body Institute over in central Pennsylvania somewhere, some town that I never can't remember the name of. Uh, but I spent a whole week being immersed in the study of this, this, uh, uh, this teaching of John Paul II on Theology of the Body, because I, I just found it to be so important for our life, and especially for young people, you know, to, to really know and understand why, were they, why they were created in the first place. What's the purpose of their life? A lot of people walk around very confused thinking they know what they're supposed to be doing, but they don't. <laughs> I mean, when you ask them, they just, they're stunned by that kind of a question. What's the purpose of your life anyway? You know, uh, some of them just give you a, a practical answer. Well, to make money and to support my family and do this, that, the other thing. Well, yeah, those are byproducts of the way you're supposed to live your life. <laughs> But what's the purpose of your life? What, what's the end point that you're shooting for? Is, is there something at the end of your life that you want to, want to say, yeah, I, I finally, I think I've started to grasp that. And I think I've, I've learned how to grasp hold of the salvation that God's uh, created for me and, and handed out to me. So the, those kinds of questions are the ones that I've gotten more interested in, Tom, in the past 20 years and have studied more about. So, and I read a lot of books about, you know, about my faith and so forth, but more than I do technical books. <laughs> I, I haven't read a technical book in years, <laughs> except to look up, you know, some tables or whatever when I get the, into a technical discussion with somebody, you know, about how s certain things operate, how an automobile engine operates or what, whatever. Uh, once in a while, I have to look up something in a, uh, in a book to find out conversion uh, data, if you will, you know, how do yeah. you convert from one thing to a horsepower to foot pounds per second or whatever, you know, <laughs> most people don't even want to know that, but, I, but there are right. a few people who do. <laughs> and, I, and I used to know that all by heart, but now I have to kind of look some things up, you know, I, I don't have all those conversion factors in my brain anymore. So, but other than that, you know, I, um, I don't really have any need or desire to study other stuff, technical stuff, if you will, because I, First of all, I'm not working anymore, <laughs> and so nobody's paying me to learn that stuff. Right. So, you know, I figure, hey, what the heck? Uh, I, I still read books on woodworking, for example, 
because I'm very interested in learning new techniques for how to build things. Um, and that's one of my main interests these days is just to build things out of wood. And um, in fact, I'm building a couple things right now. <laughs> Aren't you always? Yeah, well, yeah, and that's, and that's a good thing for me. <laughs> it keeps, keeps me occupied, and uh, both physically and mentally. And, and I'll run into some challenges. I'm challenged right now by a, something I've never built before. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> it's probably going to drive me nuts before I finish it. <laughs> and that is a, it's a CD cabinet, storage cabinet. Really? For, uh, for Marty Gilbride, Jim's, Jim's brother. And um, he showed me a cabinet that he liked and wanted me to build one just like it. And I thought, well, it looks simple enough. It's got, instead of drawers that pull out, that slide out, they tilt out. You know, they just pivot on pins or something like that, and, mm. and the drawers tilt, tilt out. And I thought, well, that looks pretty easy to do, until I started making <laughs> drawings of it. <laughs> I thought, yep. how do you get this thing to tilt and have clearances, and, and you pivot the drawer, and you have to have a clearance from the underside of the drawer above it, in order for these cassettes, these CD cassettes, to uh, to be able to clear it, and I tell you what, it's driving me nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been able to study the set? You know, the, the one that he currently has. To well, I, I to took photos it of it, and I took I measured it, and I took dimensions, and I tried to build it exactly the same dimensions. The problem I'm putting it together right now, and I, little by little, I'm taking I'm making dry dry assemblies, if you will. You know, before you glue everything up, you have to dry fit everything and when I, I tried to dry fit one of the drawers and then lay it on the side of the cabinet and then pivot it you know so that that it opens up I'm finding that it describes an arc that's <laughs> that's too big <laughs> when, when right. you when you put cassettes in there CD uh, they're not cassettes but CD discs and the cases that go with them when you slide those in there they they describe an arc that's bigger than the front face of the drawer, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I thought, now how's <laughs> that's it. how can I possibly build this thing? I already built the front face of the drawers to be about two inches taller than the cassettes, and yet when right, you, when yeah, you, and it's it's a rectangular object, yeah. So you know you'd expect you know the the face is going to be <laughs> sort of taller than it is wide, right? You yeah, oh yeah. You would have the clearance, but yeah, as you go to tilt that CD, you're like you said, that arc is going to... Yeah, the make, arc, make unfortunately, starts going up <laughs> from the back end of the CD uh, uh, case that it's stored in. If it were just bare CDs, it would make it, but, but the cases are pretty big, you know, they, and they're rectangular in shape, and you can't bend them or anything. <laughs> no. So, but I'm at the point now where I'm, a, I'm starting assembly, and I'm I'm trying to think of ways around this problem if I can't overcome it. Um, and I've, yeah. I've decided, well, I could, instead of making it a six-drawer cabinet, it's pretty tall. It's about 50-some inches tall. And, uh, so, and there's six drawers that tilt. And I'm thinking, well, if I eliminate two of the drawers, <laughs> the, other, the other four will tilt easily. <laughs> I'll just have to put some kind of a filler in between. <laughs> right. And I, it's going to look funny, but uh, so I don't know. At any rate, it's it's causing me some nightmares. <laughs> uh, but I enjoy it, you know. What I mean, so at any rate, I think that's uh, that's about all my thoughts on my education and people that have influenced me in that. And um, I think there was uh, a couple of other questions you wanted to kind of wrap up. One was. Oh, two of them. One with relationship with my dad and, uh, and with my sister. Um, yeah, I think we I, can get to those. Uh, we can get to those on another session. It, okay. Yeah. I mean, we are kind of like running gone a little pretty long, long here. here. I I just um, noticed yeah. the we just passed an hour. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 And I think I think about you know forty five minutes to an hour yeah, is a right. pretty good time. I agree, Tom. I agree. I don't want to wear you out. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I will. Um, I, I can send you an email. You know, I wouldn't mind segueing into uh, sort of your career and talking about your work more if you'd sure. like to. Uh, and, and perhaps the you know moving around. You know, I, I'd be interested to hear what life in New Jersey and New York were like, like, and all that. Uh, yeah. And um, maybe we could cover that and and possibly fit in those odds and ends as well. Sure. 
Sure, be happy to do that. <laughs> okay, I will. Uh, okay. I'll shoot you an email with some more uh, questions to ruminate on. Okay, I appreciate that. I really appreciate all your, the time you're spending, Tom. It must oh, drive yeah. you no, nuts too. My studio. pleasure. My pleasure. <laughs> yeah, and you still have another another grandpa to go to. <laughs> I do. I do. Yeah, I'm having a lot of fun with it. So. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad you get something out of it too. I oh yeah, absolutely. So. And I, I've, I previewed it to some of my siblings and they enjoyed it uh, quite a bit. I'll oh, probably, is that right? Oh, yes. I'll probably be hopefully releasing it to the cousins and aunts and uncles here sometime in the next couple of weeks. I wanted to get oh. a couple of episodes in the pipeline there to share with them. So yeah, uh, okay. I'm sure. And, and what I hope to do actually is uh, do so we can do sort of a mailbag where, you know, I, I can invite them to email me questions, uh, you know, that they'd like to ask, you know, or maybe follow up questions from the episodes sure. or just questions in general, uh, for you to answer. So that could be, uh, that could be kind of a, some fun to have, you know, interaction from your other grandchildren and, uh, children. Oh yeah, so. sure. I'd, I'd be happy to, to field questions and all that, but you know, I, sometimes you wonder why, why would people be that interested in what I have, <laughs> the way I've lived my life? <laughs> well, you know, and yet, you know, because they're family, they, there is some interest there. Absolutely. Uh, I, I think I mentioned that uh, I, I really regret not having my asking my dad and my grandmother uh, more questions than I did when I was growing up. Because there's a lot of things about their life when they were growing up that I'd sure like to know about. It. Yeah. Uh, especially my my grandparents. You know where they where they were born and raised. I mean, I know where they were born and raised, but I don't know what their life was like. And uh, kind of wished I had asked questions of my grandma, uh, but but I didn't. It's a little late now. Yes, yes. <laughs> They're gone. So okay, well, listen, I will look forward to speaking with you again, Tom. And thank you so much.